time you can be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. We're glad you're here. Uh, like Pastor Ron said, yesterday was a great day for us with the Easter egg hunt. And just thank you so much for all that you did to help us with that. We had some excellent egg hiders yesterday that helped us um, hide eggs in very interesting places. So thank you for that. Um, we also, like, like Ron said, we had 1,700 eggs, and some of you were extremely generous with those eggs. I kid you not, one child opened an egg yesterday, and there was a $20 bill inside that egg. Now, let me just say, stop doing that, please. Because now every kid thinks they're going to find an egg with a $20 bill in it. But that really happened. But thank you for your generosity. Thank you for helping us out. Um, but stop putting $20 bills in Easter eggs for us. I just, uh, it's not going to help us in the long run. But thank you so much for, for being generous with us yesterday. We have, um, we have spent the last few days, uh, last few weeks, um, last week and this week, as we lead up to Easter, talking about some of the things that Jesus was doing in the last two weeks of his life before he, was, before he died on the cross and before he was resurrected. And so we've been looking at some of these important moments in the life of Christ as he worked his way towards the cross. And so last week, Pastor Ron shared one of the miracles that Jesus performed, some of the teaching that he did, and how that impacts and changes us, and didn't just impact and change the blind beggar who was in that story last week. Um, and this week, we want to look at, if we're following the timeline of Jesus' life, we want to look at what was Jesus doing the Sunday before he died? The Sunday before he died. So if Jesus dies on Good Friday, if he's resurrected on Easter Sunday, what was he doing the Sunday before he died? And that's how we come up with this, this um, Sunday that we love to celebrate called Palm Sunday. Because if you look at the scriptures, if you look at the Gospels, you will see the story of Jesus entering the city of Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday was a grand entrance. It was, it was an important moment in the life of Christ. As he proclaimed who he was as the Messiah, Jesus was becoming more and more clear about who he was in the weeks leading up to his death. And so as he enters Jerusalem, it's a big entrance. It's an important entrance. And people, if you read other gospel um, accounts of it, you hear about people waving palm branches. And, and this was a big deal, an important moment in the life and the ministry of Jesus. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 19 today. And in Luke chapter 19, we're going to see Luke's version of this story. All the gospel accounts give us a, a really good picture of what happened that day. But in Luke chapter 19, I want us to look at what we celebrate on Palm Sunday. Here's the other interesting part. If you look in your Bible, it might say at the top of Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28, it might call this event something. It might call it something called the triumphal entry. The triumphal entry. Doesn't that sound like the most, the, like the coolest name ever? Like, I want to be part of a triumphal entry. That sounds really important. That sounds really amazing. When I think of a triumphal entry, um, I think of confetti flying and a parade and music and, and, and just loud um, crowds of people shouting and singing and all kinds of activity happening. A triumphal entry is an important entry. It's a big entry. And that's what Jesus was doing in Luke chapter 19. Because the right kind of entrance sets the tone for what's about to happen. Now, the, the entrance that we see Jesus make on Palm Sunday might be a little different than what other people expected Jesus to do on Palm Sunday. 
It probably looked a little different. It probably felt a little different than what people wanted Jesus to do that day. But that doesn't mean we can't learn from it. We learn from the the humble, amazing um, story of Palm Sunday, of the triumphal entry, because the right kind of entrance sets the tone for the event. It sets the tone for what's about to happen. I think the world of sports gets grand entrances down to a science, right? If you watch a big, important football game, what's going on? As players are running on the field, there are literally flames flying around them. There are planes flying over stadiums. There's confetti flying and music blaring and all kinds of different stuff is happening in that stadium as the players make their entrance. They're setting the tone for the game. They're getting the people pumped up and amped up for that game. Now, I'm a baseball guy. I love baseball. It's my favorite sport. I think it's the best sport in the, on the planet. And so I love baseball. And in baseball, they do it a little differently. In baseball, usually starting in about the high school level, if you go to a decent high school that has a sound system at their field, high school players on up get to do something. called They, they get to pick something called a walk-up song. All right? A walk-up song basically sets the tone for that player as they walk up to home plate. Players get to select a song that they love, a song that gets them pumped up, a song that gets them encouraged and and ready to go as they make their entrance into the game. And the right walk-up song sets the tone. Now, I coach high school baseball, and I'll tell you right now, my players spend more time picking their walk-up songs than they do taking batting practice, and it drives me nuts. But they, they, they're constantly analyzing their walk-up songs. They're asking each other about their walk-up song. They're saying, well, what if I played this part of the song instead of this part? And what if I did this instead of that? Because they want to set the tone for their at-bat. They want to make the right kind of entrance into the game. And a walk-up song does that. So players from high school on up will pick a walk-up song. That got me thinking, how cool would it be if you had walk-up songs for your everyday life? For like the things you did every single day, what if you had a walk-up song that went along with each of those things? What if you woke up in the morning, you hit the, you hit the alarm clock, your feet hit the floor, and then this starts playing? Yeah, right? How can you not be pumped up if Journey is playing whenever your feet hit the floor in the morning, right? So, what it, so there's the first one. Let's go ahead and bring that down. We're good. We don't need to listen to the whole song. Just a little, just a little part that gets us pumped up, right? But what if Journey was playing as, as your feet hit the floor in the morning, and then you're getting ready for work, you're getting dressed, you're getting, in, you drive to work, you fling open the doors to your office, and this starts playing. This starts playing. And this starts. There it is. Can't touch this. Now, if you had like the parachute pants and could do the dance too, it'd be right over the top. But here's the thing, you'd be like setting the tone for your day, right? We're going to get stuff done today. I'm going to be confident today. This is going to be a great day here in the office. I mean, you're setting the tone for all of these things. And then what if you had a great day of work because you had MC Hammer playing as you walked in, and you got home at night, you throw open the front door, and here's your family, and this starts playing. Thunder. 
my family loves this song. Like this is like we play this in the car a lot because it gets us like pumped up and gets us all excited. And so, what if you had, what if you had these types of songs playing throughout your day? Those types of songs, your walk-up songs as you went throughout your day. Because the right kind of song, the right kind of entrance sets the tone. It makes a difference. And so as we look at Jesus' grand entrance in Luke chapter 19, we see him setting the tone for what's about to happen through the Passion Week, through, through Good Friday, through Easter Sunday. This moment, this event sets the tone. So, Let's, uh, let's start reading. Luke chapter 19, we're going to start in verse 28. Because I believe that Jesus' grand entrance can teach us some lessons. And I want, what I want us to do this morning is kind of work our way through this story. We're going to find some different groups of people in the story. And we're going we're to learn some lessons from what they did. What they experienced. How they responded. What they were doing as part of this big, important story. Alright, so we're going to start in verse 28. Jesus has just gotten done teaching, and he's just about to make his big entrance into Jerusalem. It's Passover week in Jerusalem, and so the city is packed with people there to celebrate the Passover festival. It's a big, important week. So starting in verse 28, here's what it says. It says, After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So let's stop here for a minute as we kind of work our way through the story. We meet the first group of people that I want us to talk about, that I want us to learn from. And I believe that we can learn from the disciples' obedience in this story. We can learn from the disciples' obedience in this story. Think about the request that Jesus is making of his disciples. Jesus is making his way towards Jerusalem. He's walking through these small villages. And he looks at two of his disciples and says, Hey, I want you to go walk over into that village. And you're going to find a donkey there. I want you to untie it and bring it to me. And if anybody asks, just say the Lord needs it. That's a pretty interesting request, right? If you're one of those two disciples, you're probably like, Wow, this is a little uncomfortable. I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know how to handle this. But here's a couple important things to realize. This type of request wasn't totally out of the ordinary for this day and age. Because at this time in human history, many people, when they would travel from place to place, when an important nobleman or a king or an important rabbi would travel from city to city, they would need things. And so they would show up at people's homes and say, hey, the rabbi needs this or the king needs this. And people would actually give them stuff for that important person. So that kind of request wasn't totally out of the ordinary. But it was still kind of a bold request. It was still kind of an interesting request that Jesus would send two of his disciples to go get those things. The other interesting part of this is what Jesus is asking them to get. He's asking them to get a donkey, a young donkey, a colt that had never been ridden before. That's, that's a very interesting, kind of strange request in some ways. But why is Jesus doing that? I believe Jesus is doing that in order to fulfill prophecy that we see in the Old Testament. 
Because if you look at the book of Zechariah, in the book of Zechariah chapter 9, the prophet Zechariah is giving us this picture of what the Messiah will look like, what the Messiah will do, what this new king will be doing. And in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it says this, Rejoice, O people of Zion! Shout in triumph, O people of Israel, or O people of Jerusalem! Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. And so Jesus is actually fulfilling prophecy by choosing to ride this donkey into the city of Jerusalem. And here's the really interesting part, is that Jesus is asking the disciples to participate in this with him. He's inviting them to play a part in living out the mission that God had given Jesus. What an honor that was. What a privilege that was. Could Jesus have walked into that that town on his own and gotten that donkey by himself? Sure he could have. But he invited the disciples to be a part of the process with him. He invited the disciples to work alongside of him in fulfilling the mission that God had given them. And that was an honor. And that was a privilege. And so the disciples had a choice to make. The disciples could have told Jesus, no, that's, that's, a, that's a strange request, Jesus, we're not going to do that. It, the disciples might have been thinking that there was too much risk involved, that it might have been embarrassing, that it was a little bit odd, a little bit different, something they hadn't done before. And so it might have felt strange. And so the disciples had a choice to make, and the disciples followed through and chose to, to obey Jesus. And this morning, as we look at these different groups of people, I want to ask us to look at our lives. I want to ask us some questions to think about as we look at these different groups of people. So the first question is this, is am I willing to obey? Am I willing to obey? The disciples risked embarrassment. They risked their reputation. They risked the unknown in order to obey Jesus. And just like those disciples had those choices, you and I have those choices. Because Jesus isn't done working. Jesus isn't done fulfilling the mission that God had given him. And Jesus is asking you and me to work alongside of him in completing that mission. What an honor. What a privilege. But just like those disciples, you and I have the decision to make of whether or not we are going to obey. And yeah, sometimes the request might seem odd. It might seem different. It's something we haven't done before. There's some risk involved. We might be a little embarrassed. But the question is this, am I willing to obey? If Jesus asks me, am I willing to obey? So let's keep working our way through the story. We're only going to read the very next verse, just verse 35. Here's what it says. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. So they bring the colt to Jesus, they throw some jackets on top of it, and this is how Jesus is going to make his entrance into Jerusalem. Now, I don't want to be the guy that tells Jesus what to do, but here's the thing. If I'm Jesus, I'm not riding into Jerusalem on a donkey with some jackets on its back. I'm making a big entrance. I'm riding in on a convertible with the top down so I can sit up on the top and I can wave at everybody, and there's signs on the side that says who I am, like in a parade, right? It shows people I'm important. I know what I, I, you need to know who I am. And yet this isn't the way that Jesus chose 
to enter Jerusalem. He chose to enter Jerusalem on the back of a donkey with jackets as a saddle. Very different than what people were expecting. Because a lot of people in the city of Jerusalem were used to watching big, important people ride into town. And those big, important people usually rode into town on the back of a really strong horse, or on a chariot, or in some kind of wagon, or something that showed that they were rich, something that showed that they were important, something that showed that they were a prominent leader. Jesus chose none of those things. And I believe that we can learn from Jesus by understanding and and learning from Jesus' humility. Jesus' humility. Jesus was arguably the most important person in the city of Jerusalem that day. So many people had heard about him. So many people had seen him perform miracles. So many people had heard him teach. He was arguably the most important person in the city of Jerusalem. And yet he chose to humbly ride a donkey. Zechariah talks about that, right, in the verse that we read. That here comes your king. He's humble, riding on the back of a donkey. Again, Jesus didn't have to do that. Jesus could have entered any way he wanted to, and yet Jesus chose humility. Choosing humility for us can be challenging, can it? Choosing to be humble is a challenge for us every single day. Because if we're good at something, if we accomplish something that's really important, that we've worked really hard on, we want the entire world to know, don't we? But here's the balance, is that sometimes it's good to be proud of what we've been able to accomplish. It's bad to take that pride and to shove it in people's faces. And when we do that, we lose credibility. When we do that, we lose influence. When we do that, we hurt our reputation that we could potentially be using to make a difference in the lives of others. And so just like Jesus, we have to be willing to choose humility. This is hard. It's a hard thing. It's like this. I... I want my daughter, I have two daughters. I want my daughters to be proud of what they do. I want my daughters to be proud when they accomplish something. I don't want one of my daughters to do something really well and then go shove it in the face of her sister. Not that that ever happens at my house. (laughs) And I'm sure it's never happened with your kids. But if one daughter is better at something than the other one, they want to let the other one know, don't they? Look what I did. Look what you can't do, right? In choosing humility, we have to teach our kids to be humble. And just like we teach our kids to to be humble, we have to remind ourselves to be humble. And so we learn from the humility of Jesus. Let's keep reading. Actually, before we read, here's the question I want to ask. Here's the question I want us to think about. As we look at this humility, as we look at this, this, this humble attitude that Jesus had, the question for us is this, where do I need to choose humility? Where do I need to choose humility? In what areas of my life do I need to choose to be humble? In what areas of my life might I be hurting my reputation? Might I be hurting my credibility? Because I'm choosing to be prideful instead of humble. In what areas of my life could I make a greater impact if I chose to be humble instead of, chose to be, instead of choosing to be proud? This is hard. It's not easy. And it's a battle we have to fight every day. But we can learn from the example of Christ. So here we go. Let's keep reading. Verse 36. As he rode along, 
the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. So let's look at the next group of people that I believe we can learn from. I believe we can learn from the people's praise. We can learn from the people's praise. I think it's interesting to look at the people's response in these verses. What are they doing? They are literally taking their garments and they're putting them in the street. They're essentially building a red carpet for Jesus to enter the city of Jerusalem on. With their own clothing, with their own possessions. They are being extravagant. They are being generous. They are giving everything they have to show their gratitude and praise to Jesus. This is the part of the story where the other gospels account, uh, gospel accounts talk about how they waved palm branches and they sang songs and they talked about how great Jesus was. And if you look at verse 37, it tells us why they were doing these things. I think this is interesting. In verse 37, it says this. <clears throat> All of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along praising God for what? For all the wonderful miracles they had seen. These people had seen Jesus at work. They had watched Jesus with his own two hands perform miracles. They had heard with their own ears Jesus' teaching. They had watched the way that Jesus conducted himself and lived his life. They watched it all. They saw it all. And their only response was praise. Their only response was gratitude. Their ultimate response was proclaiming to the world around them how great Jesus was. And so the people's praise can teach us so much. We can learn from the response of these people because they saw Jesus at work and they responded accordingly. Here's the question for us. Where have we seen Jesus at work, and are we praising him for it? Where have we seen Jesus at work, and are we praising him for it? Now, here's the deal. The people in this story obviously had a distinct advantage over us, right? They could physically watch Jesus work. They could physically watch him perform a miracle. They could hear with their own ears him speaking and teaching. But that doesn't mean that Jesus isn't still at work. That doesn't mean that Jesus isn't working miracles in the life of you or the people you love or the people around you or in the world around us. That doesn't mean that Jesus is done working. It might mean we have to take a little bit of a harder look to find it sometimes, but Jesus is always at work. And when we see Jesus at work, when we see Jesus do something that can't be explained, that we thought was dead, that we thought couldn't be resurrected, when we see Jesus doing those things, our response should be praise. Our response should be gratitude. Our response should be proclamation of how great Jesus is to the world around us. And so we can learn from the people's praise. This week, I want to challenge us to look around us. To take a look at the world around you. Take a look at the lives of the people around you. Where is Jesus at work? 
And when you see Jesus at work, are we giving him praise and gratitude for what he's doing? Because we can learn from the people's praise. Let's keep reading in verse 41, verses 41 through 44. As this part of the story kind of comes to a close, it says this. But as he came closer to Jerusalem, we're going back to Jesus here. As he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you, of all people, would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late, and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. So here, I believe we get to see and we get to learn from Jesus' heart. We get to learn from Jesus' heart. So Jesus is on the donkey. He's riding into town. He, he must turn a corner or something, and now he can see the whole city. He can see the people. He can see the buildings. He can see the streets. He can see this, this huge view of the entire city. And he breaks down crying. Remember, Jesus was fully human. Jesus experienced all the same emotions that you and I experience in our lives. And in that moment, Jesus wept for the people in the city of Jerusalem, people that he loved, people that he cared about, people that he wanted to see find joy and peace and hope. But here was the problem. The people in the city of Jerusalem were looking for the wrong Messiah. They were looking for the wrong Messiah. So many people in that city were looking for a political Messiah who was going to come in and totally change the system. Too many people in that city were looking for a military Messiah who was going to come in and push out the Roman government and the Roman soldiers. Too many people in that city were looking for a financial Messiah who was going to come in and totally change the way commerce and money worked in the city of Jerusalem. Too many people in that city were looking for almost like a celebrity Messiah, the face of this movement, this new kingdom of God here on earth. And, they, and while they were waiting and while they were looking, they were missing out on the Prince of Peace. They were missing out on the one who was riding into town on a donkey and offering them hope and offering them joy that none of those other things could potentially offer them. In our world today, some of us, and especially the world around us, is looking for a political messiah. We're looking for somebody to come in and change everything and put it back the way that we want it. We're looking for a military messiah, somebody who can come in and, and totally change and, and, and wipe out our enemies and do what we want them to do and put, and put people into submission. We're looking for a financial Messiah who can give us the things that we want, who can change our mind, who can change our lives by giving us more money. We're looking for a celebrity Messiah who can be the face of what we want people to think and believe and say and do. And while we're looking for that Messiah, we miss out on the Prince of Peace. We miss out on the one who can ultimately give us joy, who can ultimately give us hope who can ultimately give us a future. But we get caught up in the waiting. We get caught up in the trappings and the things that we see in the world around us. And it's not just us. 
It's the people that we know and love in, the, in, in our neighborhoods, at our work, in our families. Those people are looking for a Messiah. But they might be looking in the wrong places. And whenever we see that, does our heart beat like Jesus's? Does our heart break for the world around us? Does our heart break for the people that we know that need that hope, that need the Prince of Peace? Does our heart beat like Jesus's? And that's the question for us this morning, is do I have a heart like Jesus? Do I have a heart like Jesus that can look out over the city, that can look out over the people and weep and and be sad and then want to do something about it to reach out and to make a difference, to, to introduce them to the Prince of Peace? See, Jesus was... Ultimately, Jesus was prophesying in these verses because shortly after Jesus died and was resurrected, uh, the Jewish leaders would, they were, again, they were looking for a political military Messiah. And so the Jewish leaders would lead this revolt against the Roman government and it would fail. And the city of Jerusalem would fall. And all the things that Jesus talked about in these verses happened because there were a group of people that missed out on the Prince of Peace. And so when we see that in our world, does our heart break? Does our heart beat like the heart of Jesus? To show and introduce them to the Prince of Peace. The one that can give them joy and hope. So, through this famous story, through this story that we, we read and encounter almost every year around Easter, I believe that we can learn from the disciples' obedience. And we can ask ourselves, am I willing to obey? Am I willing to risk my reputation? Am I willing to do something I've never done before if Jesus asked me to do it? Because it's an honor and a privilege to work alongside Jesus. That Jesus would invite us and ask us to be a part of this with him. We can learn from the humility of Jesus. And we can ask ourselves, where do I need to be humble? What areas of my life can I choose humility over pride? We can learn from the people's praise that whenever we see Jesus at work, whenever we see Jesus doing something, our response should be gratitude and praise and proclamation for how great he is. And then we can learn from the heart of Jesus. That if, we, if our heart beat like Jesus, it would change the way we interact with the world around us. And so as we look at these things, my last question is this, what's going to be our response? What is our response? And to help us understand our response, I actually want us to go back up into Luke chapter 19. We're going to go back up to verses 11 and 12 in Luke chapter 19. Remember how we said at the beginning of this story that Jesus had just finished teaching? The story that Jesus told, the the, the lesson that Jesus gave, is, is this story that we're going to look at really quick. In Luke chapter 19, verses 11 and 12, I believe we learn our response. So Jesus is teaching, and he has a really important message to get across to the people. And here's what it says, uh, starting in verse 11. The crowd was listening to everything Jesus said. And because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. He said a nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Let's stop there for a second. 
two important things that I think happen in these verses. Verse 11 is very interesting. It says that Jesus tells them a story, but why does Jesus tell them the story? To correct the impression that they had that this was going to be a political upheaval, that this was going to be some kind of military campaign, that the, the Messiah that was coming was going to blow up the government. Jesus was trying to correct that impression, that incorrect impression that people had. So he told this story. And then in verse 12, I think it's interesting because I think Jesus is talking about himself in verse 12. He says, A nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. A nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. I believe Jesus is talking about himself. That Jesus went away to be crowned king, and then he was going to return. And then many of you know how this story goes. After this, just to give you a summary of the story, basically, before the nobleman leaves, he calls some of his servants together, and he gives them money. He says, I want you to take this treasure, I want you to take this money, and I want you to do something with it. I want you to invest it. I want you to make a difference with it. I want you to do something with this treasure that I'm giving you. And then he goes away. And then he returns. And when he returns, he gathers, those, he gathers those servants together. And a lot of us know the story. The first two servants, they did something with it. They invested it. They put it to work. They got busy doing something with the treasure that Jesus had given them. And they saw a return on their investment. They saw things happen with that money, with that treasure. And Jesus was pleased. But then that third servant, if you read the, if you read the story, it literally says, that the third servant was afraid. He was afraid. And in his fear, he took the money and he hid it. He couldn't think of anything better to do with it. He was afraid. He was afraid that he was going to mess up. He was afraid that he was going to make a mistake. He was afraid that the the king was going to be mad at him. And so instead of doing anything at all, he hid it. And when 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 the king came back and asked him what he had done, he said, I was afraid. I was afraid you'd be upset with me. I was afraid you'd be disappointed in me. I was afraid I would mess it up. And so I hid it. And if you read that story, the king is so disappointed and so frustrated that here he was with this treasure. Here he was with this amazing thing. And yet out of his fear, he was paralyzed and could do nothing with it. I believe that you and I are the servants in this story. You and I are the servants in this story. We're waiting for the king to return. Jesus has been crowned king, and now we are waiting for his return. And Jesus has given us this treasure. Jesus has given us this hope. Jesus has given us this gospel that can ultimately change the lives of people. It can change our communities. It can change so much. And Jesus is asking us, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? We can choose to be like the first two servants. We can choose to make an investment. We can choose to do something with it. But my fear is that many of us, we're afraid. We're afraid we're going to mess it up. We're afraid we're going to do something wrong. We're afraid that God's going to be disappointed in us. And so instead of taking a risk, instead of putting it to work, instead of taking this hope that we have to the world around us, we hide it. And we keep it to ourselves. And we miss out. We miss out 
on the opportunities that God is giving us. We miss out on the joy that God could give us if we would be willing to put ourselves out there, to risk a little bit, and to make an investment. And so that's my last question for, for us this morning, is where do I need to invest? Where am I investing? Where are you investing? If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, then you have received this treasure. You have received this hope. You have received this, this unbelievable opportunity to share joy and peace to a world that desperately needs it. Where are you investing that hope? Where are you serving? What are you doing to make a difference in the lives of people around you? Because we have this hope because of the story of Easter, because of the life-changing gospel, because of what Jesus has done for us. We have the opportunity to invest and take that to the world around us. So where am I investing? Where are you investing? Listen, if there was a week to make an investment, it's this week. If there was ever a week to make an investment, it's this week. Because next Sunday, we have the opportunity to celebrate something that the world so desperately needs. Hope, joy, peace that comes through a relationship with Jesus. So if there was ever a week to start making an investment, it's now. Who can you share your story with? Who can you serve this week? Who can you invite to come with you to church next Sunday? How can you begin to make that investment that God has made in us? Because this story is life-changing. This message is life-changing. And Jesus wants us to do something with it. He invites us to do something with it. And so we learn from the obedience of the disciples. We learn from the humility of Jesus. We learn from the praise of the people. We learn from the heart of Jesus. And we respond by offering our praise and gratitude and making an investment in the world around us. We all have a part to play. We all have a place to invest. We all have something to do with this great hope that we've received in Jesus. If you don't if you've never thought about what it looks like to put your faith in Christ, if you've never thought about what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, it is the greatest hope, it is the greatest joy that you can have, it is the greatest peace that you can have. And if that's you, if you don't know, if you have questions, if you're wondering what that looks like, man, please come find me when we're done. Please go find Ron or Jason. There, there will be people that will be down front here that would love to talk to you more about what it looks like to put your hope in Jesus and how that can ultimately change your life. But for those of us that have done that, we have a lot to celebrate this week, and we have work to do. We have an awful lot to celebrate this week, but we also have work to do. Jesus is asking us to play a part in what he's doing in the world. And so how will you and I make an investment? I want to pray for us. I want to pray that God would help us to make that investment this week. Let's pray. God, I thank you that we can look at a story like Palm Sunday. A story that for some of us that grew up going to church have probably read it a hundred times. But God, I thank you that you can speak to us through it every time that we read it. God, as we look at our lives, as we ask ourselves these questions this week, help us. Help us to be willing to obey like the disciples. Help us to be humble in our lives. 
Help us to offer you praise as we see you work. God, help us have a heart like you. God, we thank you that we can turn to you. We thank you that we have this hope. We thank you that we have this story that we get to celebrate this week. And may we do that well, but may we also invite others to celebrate with us. God, thank you for what you're going to do. Thank you for how you're going to work in our lives, in the lives of the people around us this week. In your name, amen.